0: It's really difficult to form any sort of even a half baked opinion before you even know the subject matter of this movie. It's something set in the Star Wars universe. Okay, but that could be anything. Yeah, uh, yeah it really could. Maybe a Jabba the Hutt origin story. I don't know. <laughs> no, no no, know. no, no, please,
1: no. <laughs> please don't do that. I have no idea what this is. Welcome to episode 90 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show all about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and more. We are recording on Thursday, May the 29th, 2014. I'm TJ, your host, and joining me today is not Chad, but regular returning guest, Clark Douglas. How are you this evening, Clark?
0: I'm doing well, TJ. Thank you.
1: How are you? I am doing pretty well. I'm actually coming to you uh, from a brand new microphone that I just received today. It's part of the reason we're starting a little bit late is I really wanted to try it out. Um, I've got the Rode Podcaster sitting in front of me now. It's a slightly better mic than the one I normally use, uh, but I got it because I'm going to be doing some traveling uh, in the upcoming weeks. And I want to make sure that I can continue to uh, do my podcasting as I'm on the road and I needed something with USB connection. Very good. Yes.
0: Now I feel quite small with my little Snowball here.
1: Oh, no, the Snowball is not bad. <laughs> it's it's not my preference. I think that the road Podcaster sounds a little bit better, but I think the Snowball is better than the mic that I normally use. Um, you probably, as a radio station guy, you probably know a lot more about mics than I do, even, maybe.
0: Uh, I'll pretend to... <laughs> uh, think that sure
1: okay um i i normally have uh and it was i have it because it's it was inexpensive in fact it was free to me uh it was it's an audio technica db 125 uh, which is a dynamic mic which is preferable to me um in the environment that i'm in i'm not in a studio and so i don't want to i don't want a condenser mic that picks up a lot of unnecessary sound um but but yeah, I'm I'm trying out the new rig. I also got a uh, a a boom uh, a, a boom arm that that clamps to the desk, which is much nicer than the uh, music uh, mic stand that I was using. So, anyway, this is this is probably boring, but it's interesting to me. So I thought I would. There mention.
0: you go. Sounds like you got a nice setup over here. Meanwhile, I am um, because the headphones that I'm currently wearing uh, are too short. I'm sitting on the floor next to my computer. Oh no! Because, because <laughs> if I sit up in the chair, uh, I'll have to lean my head down and be uncomfortable. So I need to get a new pair of headphones. Is the short version of that story. I was say, you don't,
1: you, don't you have a good pair of studio monitors? I mean, as, as a radio station guy, you would think.
0: You know. you, you, well, you would think, but this is yeah, just at the house. So yeah. Need to get a couple things to replace other things.
1: I dropped some money. I, I don't want to take them off and remember what the brand is, but I did drop some money on some studio headphones. I think they were like 120 bucks, and it, I have not regretted that decision. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, we should get down to business. Oh, I should mention the reason why Chad is not with us is uh, he has not watched the film, and he had a lot of things going on. He's been doing a lot of traveling and... um. He thought he was going to be able to watch the film, but uh, the traveling took a little longer than he thought, and some other things came up. And so he, he just simply, much to his chagrin, is just not able to be with us tonight. So uh, we're moving on without him. I had I had already scheduled you to be on with us. We're going to have three of us on the podcast, and, uh, and uh, so it was, I suppose... Uh, I I I I just had this sense that I needed to have someone to take his place, I guess you might say. <laughs> is is fortuitous is that the word I'm looking for. There you go.
0: That's your mutant power. Yes, uh, yes it the is. The ability to foresee these things.
1: Ah, I see what you did there.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> well, before we get to that though, X-Men Days of Future Past is what we're going to be talking about, but um I wanted to talk about a few other things. And in fact, uh some news, I don't think it's exactly breaking. I really I have a hard time keeping up with uh with With news while I'm at work because I try to focus on my work. Um, I'll usually take off you know some time at lunch to look over the headlines and sometime sometime a little later, you know ten minutes or so. This came out at four twenty eight p m uh, this evening uh, and it is now seven forty nine is when we're recording this. And this won't come out until tomorrow on the website, this this episode of the podcast. So this will not be breaking news, but it's news to me. And that is that uh, MGM and Warner Brothers have announced a reboot to one of my beloved franchises, Stargate. Uh, And so obviously I have to mention it. Um, And I'm a little bit uh, – I have a little bit of trepidation about this. Uh, uh, First of all, are, are you a big Stargate fan by any chance?
0: I would say I'm much more of a casual Stargate fan, and here's my history with it. Um, I've seen the movie, I've seen the first few seasons of SG-1, and I've seen Stargate Universe, SGU, whatever you want to call that show. Um, but that's uh, I missed Atlantis entirely in the back
1: half oh, of SG-1. Man.
0: So, yeah, I know, I'm missing Spoiler out on Spoiler alert,
1: stuff. you missed the best, uh, the best uh, show of the series. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, let me get into what this news is, and then that'll kind of inform why I have a little bit of trepidation about this. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is according to Mike Fleming Jr. over at Deadline.com. He says, big day for reboots. First, it was a cliffhanger, and it was cliffhanger. And now MGM and Warner Brothers announced they are teaming with Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin to create a reimagined trilogy on the sci-fi hit Stargate, one of the biggest titles in the MGM library. Emmerich, who directed and co-wrote the original film with Devlin, is on board to direct this one with Devlin producing. Uh, those two are already hard at work on a new version of Independence Day at Fox. MGM's Gary Barber called Emmerich and Devlin world-class creators of the original Stargate and said they will bring their reinvigorated vision to this wildly popular property to audiences of multiple generations, such PR speak. Um, said Emmerich and Devlin, the Stargate universe is one that we missed terribly, and we cannot wait to get going on imagining new adventures and situations for the trilogy. This this story is very close to our hearts, and getting the chance to revisit this world is in many ways like a long-lost child that has found its way back home. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so, okay, so the reason that I have a little bit of trepidation about this, Clark, is – uh, I am a big fan of of Stargate SG-1 uh, and an even bigger fan probably of Stargate Atlantis, although its lows may have been lower. I think its highs were higher. Okay. Um, and uh, I really, really hated Stargate Universe, uh, SGU. Uh, and, and the movie, the original movie that kicked everything off was okay. It, it was not by any means my favorite movie, and if that's all there had been of Stargate, it would not even be a blip on my radar, I don't think. Sure. Um, And so that's kind of where I'm approaching this franchise at. And now Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin, who um, famously really didn't like the series. They didn't have anything to do with it. They were not uh, they were not fans of the series that I know Roland Emmerich. I can't I can't pull the quote for you, but I know he's been critical of it in the past. And so the versions of Stargate that I loved are not going to be what we're going to see is why I have trepidation about this.
0: Yeah, and you have to wonder, too, uh, how much attention they've paid to the many details and nuances of the franchise over the years, or if they even care and are basically saying, well, you know, we're doing our own Stargate thing that connects back to our original movie and don't really care about the rest of that stuff. Yeah, but. I think
1: it's the latter there. I don't think mm-hmm. they care. In fact, I know Roland Emmerich has said he doesn't care. And yeah. and it's rebooting, so they don't have to pay that much attention to it. It can be whatever they want. And to be fair, the the TV show really changed some things about his vision about Stargate. Um, the Gould, for instance, were never envisioned to be a uh, a leech kind of creature or a, a – a, what's the word I'm looking for? You, you, not, not a leech, but you know, a, um, a symbiotic creature as much right. as they were kind of basically just taken – over like the body and they weren't envisioned as these snake-like things so so that's just one aspect i mean and then uh he had never envisioned um a a stargate system as much as uh there is this one planet that connects to this other planet via a stargate and there's two other planets in this network i know he said that there wasn't like every gate every planet that was ever visited you know by uh by the ghoul to have gates or whatever it wasn't like that at all
0: right but you know and i i suppose that's fine for a self-contained movie and everything but you know the pandora's box is open now you can't just go back and say well
1: that doesn't count yeah we'll see Uh, and 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 what i'm afraid of too um so stargate universe really really i think messed up the franchise badly they didn't so the the it was the same creators but believe it or not that that were on you know on the stargate atlantis show and and many of the same minds but they wanted to do as often happens they wanted to do something different they wanted to mix things up and change the formula the problem is stargate has never had like a wide following. It's not like main, mainstream. It's kind of mainstream, right? But it has a niche. And they kind of broke out of that. And there's not very many people that I know that were Stargate fans that really liked the series, like really liked it. There were a few hardcores, and like like myself, who watched it all, who were irritated with it. And there were a few who even would be apologists for it. I was not. Um, And
0: I'll throw myself in there as somebody who had sort of lost touch with the Stargate franchise and checked that out and found it. Modestly enjoyable. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I certainly didn't think it was a great show or anything. It, it felt more than anything like a Battlestar Galactica knockoff.
1: I would but, say it felt like it wanted to be the Battlestar sure, Galactica.
0: <laughs> sure, um, but um, I, I I like certain things about it. I liked Robert Carlyle's character a lot and um,
1: yeah, some other. I, I think my stray issue elements, with him but, was I couldn't figure out what they what they wanted to do with him or what he wanted to do with himself. I mean, my favorite character was easily Eli, and and because he was the most consistent, I think. I guess, and inconsistently likable. And the other characters like were never consistently likable. You didn't know whether you liked them from one episode to the next.
0: And Eli kind of got marginalized a little bit he in the did. second season. I he don't did. know what why they decided he wasn't interesting anymore. Because but. he
1: was the best part of the show. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, your opinion is perfectly valid. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, I certainly understand, especially if you've lost touch with the series – I was coming at it as someone who hadn't lost touch with the series and who was excited to see new Stargate happening and it didn't it wasn't what we wanted and yeah. ultimately unfortunately my attitude was shared by many and that's what I think got the show canceled. So There you go. Anyway, that's that's unfortunate and I didn't mean to get it canceled but I just didn't like it.
0: <laughs> it's a shame too that uh, that was one of if memory serves one of the last um sci-fi shows that the sci-fi channel actually had before they wandered off to do this other stuff they're doing now,
1: boxing or something like that
0: yeah boxing and sharknado movies
1: jeez aren't they trying to get back to a little sci-fi though i mean They, they, they
0: have they have the show defiance on there uh which admittedly i haven't watched i think there's something else too but um yeah it's definitely not the reasonably respectable lineup it once was i think the failures of uh stargate universe and caprica and a couple other things sort of put an end to all of that i was
1: i was a big fan of battlestar galactica except for the very 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 last episode uh Mm -hmm. which really annoyed me um but i just never ever had an interest in caprica there was just something weird about that whole thing
0: i tried to be a fan of caprica i really did i mean i tried to give it the benefit of the doubt as much as i could because i wanted something like battlestar galactica again but it, it never really clicked with me
1: yeah yeah i totally understand well, as you can tell, I mean, I'm spending a lot of time on this because I'm a huge fan of Stargate, and I, yeah. I really hope that maybe maybe Dean Devlin will take what was good about the shows. Maybe he'll understand. I don't know. But but he, he seems to think his movie, the, star, the original Stargate movie, is something more than it is, I think. And I don't know. We'll see where that goes.
0: The intriguing thing here, too, is um – so I guess Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich are working together again, and they I know they broke up a long time ago. I don't know if they've done anything together since that. I was going to say,
1: did they do anything since Stargate? Uh, well, I know they did
0: Independence Day right, and Godzilla sure. yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. And then there was something. It might have been the Patriot that uh, sort of split them apart for some reason. There was some big argument they had, uh, and I don't remember the reason for it, but I remember they had sort of a big, nasty public breakup and yeah, yeah, <laughs> broke apart for a while.
1: Well, I think part of maybe the reason, and, and this is the last thing I'll say about this and then we can move on, but uh, I think maybe part of the reason that Dean Devlin is attached to this with Roland Emmerich is the studio wanted the same team back. I think that's sort of a um, a PR thing, maybe. Yeah. So Maybe they're being forced to work together and they both love the franchise, so maybe they're willing to put aside their differences to do it.
0: And I, I will say, too, that the other sort of odd thing about this, I don't know that I've ever met anybody who just loves the Stargate movie. I've certainly met big Stargate fans uh, of the series, but Um, I don't know that I've ever run into like a Stargate film super fan. Well, I think
1: it's, I thought, okay, this, (laughs) this is the last thing. I think it's considered a classic, um, by some. Um, and I think there there certainly are fans out there. You're right. I've never met them. People who are fans of Stargate are fans of SG one usually. And, and maybe like me, a few think that are, that Atlantis was slightly better, but most people SG one is where it's at. And, and that was, that was Stargate. And, uh, yeah, I, I I feel like MGM, you, you know, they come, they're coming out of this bankruptcy thing, uh, and I feel like maybe they, they don't – are not connected with – they're still not connected with their audience, perhaps. I yeah. So well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll file that under – you know, keep it on the radar mm-hmm. and see what happens to it. All right. Um, I want to talk about Batman V Superman. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Batman V Superman. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is according to Jermaine Lussier over at Slash Film. Uh, he's someone I, I quote quite often when he posts over at Slash Film, depending on the news. But he says that uh, – um, uh, this is, a, he, he's quoting Kevin Smith here, or he's talking about Kevin Smith here, the director. Uh, he's friends with Ben Affleck. He's got a Batman podcast, and now writer, director Kevin Smith is quickly becoming fandom's number one source for Batman versus Superman news. Recently, on uh, one of Smith's podcasts, the director con- commented on the color of Ben Affleck's bat suit in Zack Snyder's 2016 release. da da da. Now Smith revealed a bit more about the film and the recent revelation of the title. Um, Smith criticizes the title, but says it makes sense as he understands it. the film isn't a Man of Steel sequel anymore. Instead, it's the beginning of a five or six film Justice League story. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, but uh, it's it's really I I put a picture at the the bottom of this post, which I'll include in the show notes um, that I think really sums up what's going on here quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen that picture. I, I have not. not yet, so I, I can't respond. I'll, I'll, let me see. Is it the bottom of this post? Have yeah, you... it, it, at movie at the moviebyte link that I put oh, okay. On the show.
0: Okay, I'll have to go get over there. But uh, yeah, it's it's certainly not a surprise to hear that this is essentially you know the lead into a series of Justice League films rather than a Man of Steel sequel because. You know, Man of Steel, first of all, didn't perform incredibly well at the box office. It was a hit, but not a mega hit. And uh, DC is also in a rush to sort of catch up to Marvel as quickly as possible and get their own big old franchise going. Plus all those casting announcements we've been hearing about, you know, Wonder Woman and all these other characters being in this movie, too. And it sounds suspiciously like a Justice League movie to begin with. So, you know, here we are.
1: Yeah, it definitely does. Um, The the picture I put at the bottom of the post is a a black and white picture of a horse before, uh, you know, kind of a cart. (laughs) Um, And and it's it's just like I mean I I talked about this with Chad, but it's just like this whole dawn of justice thing. I mean, do do you guys not understand subtlety at all?
0: Zack Snyder subtlety? Yeah, uh, no, it doesn't you know. doesn't doesn't compute, does it? <laughs> Those two don't really click that well. But the the thing that uh, surprises me too is that uh DC and Warner Brothers are kind of putting all of their eggs in one basket with Zack Snyder, handing him sure this film and the Justice League series and basically saying this is all on you, buddy, you know. And I don't, I don't know, I don't think that's wise, but i'm not in charge
1: well no i mean i don't want to you know they can do whatever they want it doesn't have to be like what marvel's done but marvel certainly has not put all of their eggs in one basket and one director and, and one leading anything you know although i mean i suppose you could argue that iron man is like their their head honcho but even without iron man i think the marvel universe is interesting um so yeah it's i don't understand what they're doing i really don't understand what they're doing i i think they need to build this universe up a little bit more i mean and we're coming off of a little bit of bad will, I think, um, uh, with with the whole Batman reboot thing. Um, you know, you, you've you've kind of got Christopher Nolan involved in the distance, and you know, he he didn't want to come back to like. I feel like if if they had started the universe with the Dark Knight and then said it's all in this universe, it would feel different to me. But it feels like we're unnecessarily rebooting stuff. I don't know. I, I'm getting. I guess I'm I'm on reboot burnout.
0: Yeah, and uh, you can understand too. Why they wouldn't start it with the Dark Knight just because that's a film, and that's a series which just feels like it it almost couldn't take place in a world with any super powered characters you know it's just too it was, sure too it was grounded very,
1: it was very grounded you're right in in a lot of ways uh so i i don't know i've i feel like um d c is really faltering and I, I don't i don't i don't know that I can quite put my finger on it,
0: yeah. We'll see what happens, but uh, this isn't looking promising right now. I have to say, no, I,
1: I I agree. And so we've talked about a little bit of DC news. Let's let's jump over to Marvel, and and this uh, is a little bit uh, disturbing to me. Yes, uh, Edgar Wright has left the Ant Man franchise. Angie Han reports over at Slash Film. Ant Man is getting a new director. Edgar Wright has just dropped out of the Marvel movie owing to differences in their vision of the film. Paul Rudd is still leading the cast of the superhero film, which also stars Michael Douglas and Evangeline Lilly. Uh, The Unfortunate News was released in a press release today. Marvel uh, and Edgar Wright jointly announced today that the studio and director had parted ways on Ant-Man due to differences in their vision of the film. The decision to move on is amicable and does not impact the release date of July 17, 2015. A new director will be announced. Um. Edgar Wright has been attached to this film since 2006. What the heck happened? That had to be a major falling out in order for him to to abandon a film after so many years of of planning it and working on it. And I don't know. This just doesn't sound good to me.
0: There is a story out there right now, and I don't know if you've read it or not. But uh, Latino Review published a story, and they're a fairly reputable website. And uh, yeah, after after you know uh, a few days, nobody's come out to refute this. So. Uh, they claim that Marvel and Edgar Wright were having differences over the script, uh, that Marvel was wanting him to add in some more franchise characters, uh, that they rewrote his script and essentially dumbed it down in a number of ways, tried to make it more of a Marvel franchise film, and he went to meet with them to protest the decision. And nobody knows what exactly happened to that meeting, but it ended with Edgar Wright basically saying, I quit. Um, that's a bothersome sign, I think, for what Marvel's uh, doing right now—that they're not willing to put more trust in a director who's sort of proven himself.
1: I agree. It's, it's a, as a the, real talent, it's almost the opposite, the polar opposite of what we just talked about with DC.
0: Right, and, and you know, it, it really is—it really is troubling that they're doing this to a director of, of Edgar Wright's caliber. I mean, he's an incredibly talented guy. I don't think he's missed yet. Uh, with the movies that he's made, he's an extraordinary talent. And Ant Man, be- simply because he was directing it, was one of my most anticipated Marvel films. Yeah. But the idea that they're expecting this guy, who- who's clearly you know a director with a very distinct voice, to sort of conform to the sort of marvel formula is kind of beyond me why would they hire him in the first place if that's what they wanted
1: yeah absolutely is, is the article title um the the inside story on the divorce between marvel and edgar Wright over ant-man the one on latina review i believe that's correct yes. yeah i'm gonna grab this then and put it in the show notes uh for our listeners they can grab them there um yeah uh i i just i you're absolutely right. You know they 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 don't want to trust this director to do. I feel like I, I guess that like maybe Marvel is getting a little bit big for their britches. As much as I love the Marvel Universe right now, I've I've just started to feel a little bit like they're 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 just a little bit big for those britches. I <laughs> you know just to reuse my my metaphor because I couldn't think of a better one. <laughs> well, well, and this is not the first time this sort of
0: thing has happened. I know Marvel and John Favreau had a little bit of a falling out uh, creatively. A few years ago, Favreau, of course, was once upon a time supposed to be the director of the Avengers. Yeah. But because of some creative differences, uh, he essentially dropped out of the directing side of of that world. And then uh, I also understand that during the post-production process of Thor 2, Marvel essentially took that film away from director Alan Taylor Mm. uh, and did a lot of sort of editing work themselves behind the scenes and didn't really let him realize his full intended vision
1: yeah and i'm not really a fan of movie making by committee and that that's what what seems to be starting to happen at marvel um yeah you know i i think that uh as far as I can tell, the Captain America two did not suffer from that. It, you know, I don't even think I, I didn't hear much about that happening. So I think they were happy with the director's work there. But it, it definitely feels like they're not willing to trust directors anymore, which which is unfortunate. I mean, John Favreau, um, I think really really got this thing started down the right track with Iron Man. And the studio messed up Iron Man 2 so bad. If you read the stories and read between the lines, it wasn't Mm -hmm. necessarily Jon Favreau that messed up Iron Man 2. It was the studio.
0: Right. And studios have a long history of this. And, I mean, let's just limit it to the world of superhero films here. You look back at Spider-Man 2, which was such an incredible movie and really kind of pushed the whole genre forward, I think. And then uh, the weirdly made-by-committee Spider-Man 3 was the next thing rather than letting a guy who made a big hit make another big hit. They had to kind of uh, do everything themselves. Then you mm-hmm. look at the X-Men franchise and what happened there right after X-Men 2. Great film. Uh, very personal vision from Brian Singer. The next film was very much a made-by-committee affair and sort of wrecked the whole thing. And, so. and, and they've done this over and over again with all sorts of different franchises. It happened with Pirates of the Caribbean also. Yep. But, um you know, you'd think they would learn their lesson eventually.
1: Yeah, and by they, we're saying the collective they, because it's always a different studio that's doing it. Right?
0: Yes. It's but everybody has to try it, I suppose. And it's like the it's frustrating a different- thing too is these made by committee movies. I mean, you look at you look at Thor two, and you look at X Men three, and Spider Man three, and so on and so forth. All these movies are admittedly big hits at the box office. They all do quite well. Yeah. Uh, they just earn the sort of ire of the fan base and sort of eventually cause everyone to lose interest in the franchise
1: that's right yeah absolutely um yeah it's it's an unfortunate thing that's going on so um won't dwell on it too much it's just a little bit frustrating although although it is relevant because we're reviewing another i mean this this should be the superhero (laughs) podcast not the movie i suppose so (laughs) anyway yeah so those those links will be in the show notes if you want to read the sadness about edgar wright departing from uh from the franchise it's it's an unfortunate thing yeah um, let's talk about the Big Hero Six trailer, which is kind of came out of left field for me. I and I, I don't know anything about this, and apparently it's a very small, little known um, kind of a thing. And it's it's really though Marvel is owned by Disney. It's really the first collaboration between Marvel and Disney as as separate entities coming together to make a film. So far, Disney has kind of let Marvel do its thing, right? They own Marvel and they're happy to have that stake, and they've let Marvel do their thing. And now they're kind of coming together and making a, uh, an animated movie with uh, you know with Marvel and Disney together, uh, and it's called Big Hero Six. And I, I don't know. Do you know anything about this comic book franchise?
0: Uh, I don't, honestly. And I'm kind of a comic book guy, but uh, I knew nothing really about Big Hero 6. It is evidently a pretty small, obscure Marvel thing. Uh, And I suppose this represents Disney and Marvel sort of dipping their toes in the water to see if it works. And if it does, maybe they could conceivably uh, try a little more sort of name brand friendly Marvel animated flicks. But we'll see.
1: Yeah, so the Wikipedia entry on Big Hero 6 says that Big Hero 6 is a team of fictional comic book superheroes appearing in Marvel Comics. They first appeared in Sunfire and Big Hero 6, number one, September 1998. Though they were created by Stephen T. Siegel and Duncan Rolu R- 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 uh, in the pages of Alpha Flight, volume two, that issue sparked interest in a miniseries which Siegel and Rolu R- did not have time to create. Thus, Scott Lobdell and Gus. Uh, uh, we're, I'm looking for the pertinent information here. Um. A new six series, six issue miniseries is launched by Marvel Comics in September two thousand eight. Um, so yeah, they, it was really kind of a, a small issue thing in in the in nineteen ninety eight. Um, I'm going to put this link in the show notes as well. Um, so yeah, I certainly didn't know anything about it. Uh, I'm I'm intrigued. Uh, I'm not I'm not overly excited about it, but I, I watched the uh, you know the trailer, and I'm certainly intrigued, especially by the by Marvel and being involved in an animated uh, you know completely animated film. I mean, obviously they're into CGI, but it's quite different. It's a really live action movies that they've been doing thus far. So
0: right. And, you know, one of the disappointments to me, too, and this is, I suppose, a little off-topic and on-topic at once, but the Marvel straight-to-DVD animated films have been pretty consistently horrible. Um, You would think that a studio of their caliber at this point could put out something at least decent, at least on the level of some of the DC animated stuff, which has been decent.
1: Which ones are you referring to?
0: Oh, um... I'm hard pressed to think of the titles at the moment. There was one, uh, a Hulk and Iron Man team up movie that came out last year. Um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of that one. Uh, planet Hulk I thought was pretty rough. Um,
1: I guess I'm wondering uh, whether this is officially associated with Marvel Studios or whether this is a different, you know, because I, I'm, I, it's so easy to get confused. And I sure I don't have a good handle on everything because Mar- there's different Marvel entities now that were split up amongst Fox and 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 uh, uh, there's another one, um, and then you know then there's the official Marvel Studios and properties are a little bit split up. So,
0: if memory serves me correctly, th- these are affiliated with the official Marvel Studios, although they're not actually being made by. Marvel Studios uh, proper—they're okay. you know being handed to some smaller division of that, but they do—they are supposed to tie in and share the same continuity, basically, uh, with the movies.
1: Okay, okay, that's interesting. I, I was not actually aware of these films, so um, uh,
0: that's probably for the best.
1: Okay, <laughs> okay. Well, so the Big Hero Six trailer is in the show notes. You should check that out, uh, and it, it is—it's it's certainly interesting. Uh, it certainly feels. Like, there's a, maybe a little bit of Pixar influence, which you would expect, and certainly sure. a lot of Marvel influence. So, yes. uh, definitely check that out. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. Um, last big news before we get into X Men is that Godzilla director Gareth Edwards is going to helm a Star Wars spin off film. Uh, Kevin Jaganoff over at the playlist reports that the career of Gareth Edwards is one that would make a film school student envious. His first film, Monsters, was a labor of love made on a, re- a shoestring budget, with the VFX largely done on laptop. The result is a solid indie highlighting a director that uh, with a real sense of mood and craft. That effort found him leveraged into the blockbuster Godzilla. And no matter what you thought of the movie, uh, well, no matter what you thought of it, the movie was a huge smash, opening last weekend over ninety million at the box office. So, what does Edwards do next? Uh THI reports that he'll direct one of the upcoming Star Wars spin-offs. Of course, given the shroud of secrecy around these movies, it's not clear which one it will be, but rumors will abound. So that's that's the news for Gareth Edwards. And uh kind of coming off of my disappointment with Godzilla, um I am not quite sure what to make of this and and really I'm not even sure what I think of Star Wars spin-off films. I'm ex- I'm kind of excited uh you know te- te- trepid use the word trepidation again uh I'm kind of excited but kind of you know have a little bit of trepidation for the main Star Wars films and I really don't know what to make of Star Wars spin-off films. I mean this is the Disney machine at work and I don't know if I'm going to like that. So
0: yeah uh and you know it's really difficult to form any sort of even a half-baked opinion before you even know the subject matter of this movie. It's something set in the Star Wars universe. Okay, but that could be anything. Yeah, uh, yeah it really could. Maybe a Jabba the Hut origin story. I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 know.
1: no, please, no. <laughs> please don't do that. I have
0: no idea what this is. But um, I'll just say I like Star Wars, and I like Gareth Edwards, and maybe I'll like this movie. I don't know. Um, yeah. But that's about it.
1: Yeah. So Chad and I talked about uh, Godzilla and I know we taught you and I and Chad talked about it before it came out and you had a few uh, thoughts about who that that flying uh, dragon could be and stuff. And uh, you had suspect speculated it was Mothra. Anyway, the point is, uh, it'd be interesting to hear what you you know, just a quick take on Godzilla from from you on since it's pertinent here.
0: I thought Godzilla was uh, a whole lot of fun. It it definitely surprised me. It wasn't the movie I thought it was going to be. I thought it was right. going to be this dark, intense, scary, Christopher Nolan-esque sort of take on Godzilla, Yeah, and it sort of started out in that direction, and then as it went along revealed that it was more and more of just kind of a big, goofy popcorn movie, but uh, – I- I did have a lot of fun with it. I thought the monsters were beautifully done, yeah, uh, just the the creature design was fantastic. I really liked Brian Cranston's performance in the early portion of the movie.
1: Yeah, it's uh, too bad, well, that's a spoiler w- well, sure, <laughs> but yes,
0: it's too bad <laughs> and um. It sagged a little bit in the midsection and the characters could have been better drawn, but uh, I had a really good time with it overall. And it's also a a film which I think is a, a pretty solid foundation for a bigger franchise, if that's what they're looking to do. I'm certainly up for a sequel.
1: Yeah, I was pretty disappointed with it in a lot of ways. Um, not that I didn't have fun in the, in the theater, but as I mentioned last on last week's episode, it just uh, the the characters. I mean, nothing any of the characters did had any impact on the story at all. I mean, but just, uh, I, I will say that's one of the
0: things I found charming about the movie was that the humans ultimately um, had very little impact on the story, but were reduced to sort of standing back and watching in awe as these monsters battled it out, uh, because so many of these. Movies, you know, that involve big monsters or big creatures. Take the Transformers movies, for instance, which isn't the same thing, but it's similar. I sure hope not. Uh, (laughs) No. (laughs) But uh, you've got uh, the human characters somehow always manage to play a much bigger role in the events of the plot than the actual Transformers do. And I thought that this was, you know, sort of a rebuttal to that kind of filmmaking. It said, look, Godzilla's the star of this movie. Um, So let him be the star of the movie.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's you know I understand where you're coming from. I, I I'm usually in a film for the human drama, and I felt that that was lacking. So, uh.
0: but it did have monster drama.
1: Yeah, it, I suppose they it
0: did. had the 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 Mutos had that Lady in the Tramp moment with the nuclear warhead, <laughs> which was kind of spectacular.
1: Yeah, I mean you know you always but, bring your lady friends warheads, I guess. So.
0: Well, you know when you're of a certain <laughs> size, uh, I suppose so.
1: Uh anyway, so so this is the guy, the guy that directed Godzilla is going to be at the helm of a Star Wars movie of some sort. So we have that to look forward to and especially if you like Godzilla, this is probably good news. So uh it it'll certainly be interesting to see what he does with it and what's coming in the Star Wars universe. I, I, you know, I, I I'm certainly all ears and paying a lot of attention.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued to see where Abrams and Co are planning to take this whole thing, but uh yeah,
1: yep. yeah we're still in wait and see mode. All right. Well, now we have come to that point in time in our podcast when we uh, will talk about our primary review this week, and that is of X-Men Days of Future Past. Um, so before we do that, I mean, kind of related or really as we start down the path, not not before, but as we start down the path, I want to talk a little bit about um, the X-Men franchise as a whole. We've already alluded to it a little bit. You've talked about uh, what they did to X3. But I, I think it would be helpful just because um, this is a franchise, and it's a pretty big franchise now. Um, I think it would be helpful to kind of talk about our feelings briefly about each of the, the previous movies. Um, I think we've established on the show that I'm a big fan of uh, the first X-Men and even bigger fan of uh, the second X-Men film. And I, uh, I hate with much loathing uh, X-Men The Last Stand. I hate that it has to be on my shelf. I hate that I'm a completionist in that way, and I wish I could burn it with fire. Um and and then there's uh a, a woefully misguided Wolverine movie, which was not as bad as many people think, but it wasn't good. Um then there's X Men First Class, which, which starts to to kind of raise the bar back up again. And then there was a Wolverine movie which was quite excellent, and that kind of brings us to where we're at. So what are what are your feelings on those films?
0: Um the X-Men series to me is a very complicated one <laughs> yes. and uh m- my feelings on it sort of vary dramatically but I'll try and provide a quick overview here. Uh the first X-Men I think deserves credit for really kind of kickstarting the superhero genre as we know it. It really was responsible for the sort of flood of superhero movies we saw in the early part of the 21st century. Yeah definitely. Uh the the surprise success of that movie I don't think it holds up incredibly well in retrospect, but I think that's partially because so many other filmmakers sort of took what Brian Singer did and kind of fine-tuned it and improved on it and ran with it. Mm. And, you know, looking back, it doesn't really hold up as well as some of the later movies that came along that imitated it. But it is a good film and certainly has a good cast, some good performances. X-Men 2, I really liked a lot. Uh, and. You know, up until now, I think, was easily the sort of high point of the series, uh, a, a really compelling, serious-minded drama.
1: Yeah, and if I can just break in there for just a second. I, sure. I, I think the difference uh, is that, uh, for me, X, the first X-Men, while it was good, um, you're right, it doesn't hold up quite as well as you'd like. I think that's because the characters were painted with in pretty two-dimensional terms. I mean, the bad guys were bad, the good guys were good, and there just wasn't as much drama as there could have been there and X-Men 2 really changed the game for that. I mean, it mm-hmm. really painted those characters in much more of a 3D space. I mean, yes, Ma- Magneto was a bad guy, but he, you know, was he a bad guy? I mean, you know, you get that sort of thing where the drama and the stakes are all much higher and and the characters are not painted with, with uh, such a broad brush of, oh, this guy's like this and this guy's like this. I, I feel like that's the difference.
0: I agree. And, and generally, the, the dialogue and storytelling went up a notch, too. Yes. Um X-Men 3 we've already talked about, but it's it's awful. <laughs> it's terrible, um, terrible. Wolverine was similarly not as awful, as you said, but still a, a huge disappointment. And I remember at one point there was supposed to be like a whole series of Origins films where they were going to do Magneto Origins and Cyclops Origins yes. and all these. other And yeah, that fell apart right after people saw Wolverine. Um, X-Men First Class was a lot of fun, brought some sort of much needed life and energy back to the franchise, was... Uh, a very welcome change of pace sort of tried something a little friskier and funnier after these more serious-minded X-Men movies.
1: Even if it did kind of muddy the uh, the continuity waters a bit. It,
0: it did, <laughs> it, admittedly. Yes, it did. And then uh, The Wolverine, with the exception of a couple of villainous characters who were kind of poorly drawn, I, yes. I thought it was an excellent, excellent film. And probably up to that point, the, the best portrait of Wolverine, the character uh, to date.
1: Yeah, I was really happy with with the Wolverine. I was happy. I was happy with his character development and and generally happy with that movie. Very, very much. So,
0: yeah. So, um, you know, a a great big hit and miss mess. uh, And (laughs) I think is the best way to describe the X-Men franchise up until days of future past.
1: I think it's safe to say that anything that Bryan Singer has not been involved with in the X-Men franchise has been a disaster in, in some form.
0: Well and, was he involved with For first class at all
1: yes he was he was, was he, he was a producer a, he was or? a producer I know he had okay. some, a hand in some of the writing he he wanted to direct it but couldn't and so he brought in Matthew Vaughn who did a, a tremendous tremendously wonderful job um in his absence though not quite what I would have wanted from a from an X-men film you know if Brian singer had been directing it it was fine um yeah. and uh yeah anything that he hasn't been involved in like the studio basically Brian Singer went off to do the much underrated uh, uh, Superman Returns, and the studio did not feel like waiting for him to come back. So, um, and I, I think they were a little miffed that he went over to DC. So, uh, and, and
0: even with that, uh, Brian Singer has admitted that one of the big regrets in his career is not uh, coming back to do X Men Three. So, I think in some ways, him finally returning to the series to, to direct Days of Future Past is sort of his uh, way of atoning
1: for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as we'll, we'll talk about kind of, uh, fixing some of the things that X-Men 3 did to the <laughs> franchise. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so, so yeah, uh, that brings us to X-Men Days of Future Past. And, and, and Brian Singer is back at the helm. And, and this was a $200 million movie, Clark. I mean, good, goodness gracious. That's a lot of money to make a movie with. Us. <laughs> you know, who would, who could have imagined when uh, the, the first X-Men film came out, spending $200 million on a film like this? I mean, it's, I know crazy. it's insane. Yeah. It, it, uh, it,
0: I imagine a, a pretty sizable chunk of that had to go to the cast too. I mean, what a huge, huge cast this series has well, accumulated so over the years.
1: I've heard uh, favorably, actually. Many people compare this in some in many ways. Not uh, not in every way, of course, but in in some ways, this is kind of like uh, the Avengers uh, of of the X Men franchise. And and mm-hmm. though X Men are supposed to be in the Avengers at different points, that's not going to happen because of the split of the characters. So this is kind of X Men's Avengers.
0: Though I understand there is one exception to that, that uh, Quicksilver uh, actually is going to be in the next Avengers film, yes. but in a different form.
1: Yeah, it's not It's not this Quicksilver. It's not related to this universe at all, and it's better just to think of him as a completely different character. They cannot mention his parentage at all um, because of the contractual things. It's Quicksilver is one of those characters that's not contractually uh, held anywhere, and so he can appear here and there and wherever. Um, so he That's will not be superpower. Yeah.
0: <laughs> to, to jump between franchises, but
1: yeah, he will not be this Quicksilver. He, I, I prefer to think of him as an entirely separate character. Yeah. Um, m- much like I will, I will see Ben Affleck's Batman as a, an entirely separate character from the dark Knight of Christopher Nolan. So, and
0: hopefully uh, a different character from Ben Affleck's daredevil.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I've not seen it, but I've, I've heard things. Um, so yeah, this this film opened in theaters on May the 23rd of this year, 2014. It had a budget, as I mentioned, of 200 million. It opened uh, domestically to 90.8 million. And currently it is sitting at worldwide 346.4 million. So I would say their investment of 200 million really paid off because that that's that number is only going to go up. Yes, indeed. Um, so the critical acclaim from Rotten Tomatoes says that X-Men Days of Future Past combines the best elements of the series to produce a satisfyingly fast-paced outing that ranks among the franchise's finest installments. The director was, of course, Bryan Singer. Writer is Simon Kinberg. Uh, he did the screenplay. And then uh, the story is by Jane Goldman, Simon Kinberg, and Matthew Vaughn. Uh, the film does have quite the cast, as we've mentioned. It stars Hugh Jackman as uh, Logan slash Wolverine. Uh, James McAvoy as Charles Xavier. Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier. Michael Fassbender as Eric Lencher, Ian McKellen as Eric Lencher. Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique. Uh, Nicholas Holt as uh, Beast. Peter Dinklage as Dr. Bolivar Trask. Evan Peters as Quicksilver. Uh, Halle Berry as Aurora Monroe uh, slash Storm. Ellen Page as Kitty Pride, Sean Ashmore as Iceman. Uh, Bing Bing Fan as Blink. And the list could go on, but I'm going to stop there. Um, The music was uh, by John Ottman, a favorite of of Brian Singer's. He likes to work with John Ottman, who interestingly does both the film editing and the music composing. And uh, I I would love to get your take on that in in just a moment. But let me just uh, briefly mention the story of this film is that X-Men, the X-Men must send Wolverine uh, into the past in a desperate effort to change history and prevent an event that results in doom for both humans and mutants. So, what do you think of this business of John Ottman, both uh, doing the film editing and composing the score, and, and you know, and doing the score? That's that's kind of weird. That's kind of unheard it, of.
0: Yeah, it, it is, and uh, you know, it's intriguing too. I, I suppose he can be a little bit more more generous to uh, fine tuning. The editing to the rhythms of his music than some might be able to. Um,
1: yeah. In fact, in my indie filmmaking experience, uh, that was uh, when we were not using stock music and we were actually getting a film scored, there was always points of, of contention between the composer. And it was always good and creative uh, meetings and stuff, but there was always that bit of tension. Well, you know, the, the composer is like, this is my kind of vision for what this music should be like. And, you know, the director would be like, yeah, but what I really was thinking was this. And, and, and then, you know, and then I, as the editor would usually have to say but what i was thinking was this you know this is i mean just listen to this temp music i have here and that's kind of the feel i'm going for so you kind of have this tension right of of this going on and and i think that that certainly kind of probably relieves that a little bit to some extent i mean because in my experience the editor and the director always are very closely tied in their vision of the film
0: well and i'm always intrigued to uh to hear what composers have to say about what directors have to say about the music in the film, because uh, you know, you hear stories that directors sort of vary wildly in terms of their musical knowledge and their understanding of how music works in a movie. So so you'll have some people who could speak to the composers in, you know, very sophisticated terms about exactly what they want and exactly what Mm -hmm. kind of feel they're going for. And the sort of composers, they might want them to draw inspiration from and so on and so forth. And then you have others that just say, I want this to be exciting and exciting and loud and exciting, you know, and, right. <laughs> uh, that's about the, the extent of it. But uh, usually when you see a composer and a director working together over the course of multiple films, it's a pretty good indication that they've found an effective way of communicating with each other in, sort of in like, terms of.
1: Yeah, sort of like J.J. Yeah. Abrams and uh, Michael Giacchino. Right,
0: you know, or or Spielberg and John Williams, I guess, yeah. is the big famous example. Oh, yes. Danny Elfman, Tim Burton, these yep. these long-lasting relationships where the two just really, you know, find a way to work together well every time.
1: Yeah, and, and Sam Raimi likes to work with Danny Elfman, too.
0: He he does. They had a big um, a big breakup during Spider-Man 3 uh, where, where uh, Danny Elfman basically, after Spider-Man 2, claimed that Sam Raimi was one of the worst people in the world and didn't want to work with him anymore and he was a jerk and he was horrible <laughs> – and so he did not work on Spider-Man 3 or Drag Me to Hell, uh, Raimi's other film during that time period. And then they made Nice, and he came back to do Oz the Great and Powerful. Which so was it's a go.
1: wonderful soundtrack. It is. Yeah, I really – whatever you can say about the film, I really love the soundtrack. I, I enjoy the film well enough. I agree. Um, so – uh, so John Ottman uh, editing and the music. that is, It's definitely an interesting thing, which is what he did for X2. Uh, Michael Kamen did like the original music for the first film. I don't remember who edited. I don't think it was John Ottman. But then the singer has certainly been working with John Ottman a lot ever since X2.
0: Yeah, there's an interesting story about that, too, where uh, apparently Singer wanted John Ottman for the first X-Men, but Ottman had some other conflict, some other movie he was working on. So the studio essentially forced Michael Kamen on Brian Singer, and they hated each other. Um, Michael Kamen scored the movie. Brian Singer didn't like it at all.
1: Really? And
0: essentially, yeah, made Kamen rescore the whole thing. Um, And there was a big sort of debate over what the sound of that movie should be. And would, which is why I think Michael Kamen's a very talented composer, but the original X-Men score I wouldn't rank among his best works, and it sounds like something which is having trouble finding its identity.
1: Yeah, that's a good point because I I like the theme that he did, but I mm-hmm. didn't like the rest of the score of the of the kind of under the tone of the movie or, or whatever.
0: Yeah, and he wasn't particularly skilled at sort of incorporating some of the electronic elements that apparently Bryan Singer wanted um, mm-hmm. into the music. Uh, that that wasn't ever really his strong suit. He was much more of an orchestral sort of guy.
1: Well, that's interesting because I felt like John Ottman went in a more orchestral direction.
0: He did. And, you know, you never know why these things happen. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <there> <laughs> Whatever.
1: Well, in any event, so um, X-Men Days of Future Past, what did you think overall?
0: I thought it was fantastic. Um, I had a wonderful time with this movie. And one of the things that I love so much about it is that, Brian Singer uh, didn't just make a sequel to X-Men and X2, as some might expect him to, sort of returning to this series, but really kind of took stock of the entire series up to this point. What had worked, what didn't, what needed to be fixed, and tried to tie all of these kind of disparate threads into a single unifying whole. And he he did an incredibly effective job of that. Uh, You would think this sort of movie, which is trying to bring together uh, kind of multiple timelines and multiple characters and fix assorted uh, of continuity issues uh, would have the potential to be a great big mess in the wrong hands. But yeah. he really pulled it off and uh, delivered something which
1: is both entertaining and surprisingly moving at times. Absolutely, very, very moving. In fact, I, I I would definitely say that this is the best X Men film ha- that has been made thus far. By, I would agree very easily. Um, very yeah. easily. And, and and that's not to say like, like and that's a really high mark because. I would say that X2 was way up there too, but, and I'm thinking, I think I gave it, uh, the same rating that I gave this one, and I'm thinking about downgrading X2 just because I like this <laughs> one so much more. Uh, it, yeah, the ratings are hard. Anyway, um, I, I, I did really enjoy this film a lot. And, and, and like you said, you would think that a film like this would be so kind of, uh, flabby and, 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 it, but it has a real sense of continuity too. Like even though you can look at it in retrospect, and I did, and like oh well, there's a continuity error here, and there's one here. But you don't feel that when you're watching the film, and that's the important thing. Yeah. Um, if you feel the continuity problems, uh, th- there's a problem. Um, and the only time I did lean over toward, to my wife at one point in the film, it was very early on. I said, "What in the world? He Professor X is walking, and we know in the last film, and they explained it pretty quickly. And I, that was the only time that I really went what. Yeah, and 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 that there was a good explanation for it, so I, I was very happy with that.
0: Um, and this is this isn't necessarily an error, but there is certainly a, a gap uh, in terms of what exactly happened to Xavier uh, after the events of X Men Three, and how exactly Magneto got his powers back. Oh and all yeah, that's well, you know, but that's all more untold story rather than an actual sort of content yeah well, i mean we
1: might as well go go into that now because i do think there's a little bit of a you know what i just don't feel like dealing with that i mean because because sure. i loved the stinger at the end of the wolverine movie right I, I really loved that and it was very intriguing and like ooh, this mystery how how is it that because because xavier says because logan's like what what are what are you doing here how can you even be here you're supposed to be dead and xavier says i have powers you don't know about and then he's like Magneto. I thought you didn't have any powers, you know. And he's got his powers back. <laughs> and they had this this kind of this promise of this is a very intriguing story, and we need your help, Logan. And then all of a sudden we we so we had that promise. We've had it for like a year, right? And now we're coming right. into this movie, and and that's just not dealt with at all. And and it seems that Logan is from the future, not not the Logan they went into the past to retrieve. That's what it seemed like. And I, I was just like what. What happened? What, what, what happened to my stinger? <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's not the only way in which this movie sort of kind of refutes some of the stuff that was done in The Wolverine. You know, so much of The Wolverine on an emotional level was about the title character sort of trying to come to terms with the loss of Jean Grey and accepting that yes. and sort of starting fresh and everything. And uh, – this movie's basically like, ah never mind you don't really have to worry about that so yeah you know. that is interesting
1: I I don't worry about that too much though because I feel like no. that movie does stand on its own and it does and, and and this Logan like I said this Logan feels like he's from this future timeline not from not 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 like they went to the past to get him like that stinger indicated it does feel right. like he's a more mature Logan I really like that this this movie is essentially a Wolverine movie I mean, mostly <laughs> it deals with a lot of other characters. But Wolverine is, again, the central character. I mean, and that's I mean, Singer, like you said, he, I think he took stock of the franchise and he goes, the people love the Wolverine. He's the most interesting character we got. He's okay. going to be our star. And and he really was. And and I really liked this this uh, Wolverine. You, you can kind of look at he's like the one cohesive character where you see this arc that he's on and 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 he's come to a point in his life now where he's 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 come a long way in his journey and and i yeah. really like that about about the the way they that Brian singer handled this character here
0: and you know e- even though you definitely see the arc over the course of all these films uh we've also got i think kind of a return to this wolverine that singer presented in his first two x-men films which is a wolverine that's a little a little softer a little gentler a little more kind of understated in the way he deals with things yeah uh, whereas you know I, I think some of the other more recent movies had, had presented a more aggressive version of wolverine
1: well and the argument um, could be made that he, when he was younger he would have been more aggressive and then of course having sure. lost gene gray and the wolverine and the and, you know the wolverine coming right after that you know he really had some things and anger issues to deal with
0: yeah yeah but but hugh jackman's definitely sort of rock solid in that part now
1: and yeah uh, and, and there was talk of him from him of not coming back to the franchise after this movie and i think lately he's sort of reversed that goes no i kind of want to to come back you know i I've, I've really enjoyed doing this and who would have thought I'd still be playing this character for it ten years later and I really want to come back and I, and I hope he stays with the franchise because you know he can continue to play this character for I think several more years um you know as long as they can keep him from looking like he's aged too much it's kind of an ageless character so I think they can continue to do that but yeah very very happy with that I'm, I'm not complaining at all that this this felt like a, another Wolverine movie almost
0: yeah and uh he, he's definitely the central character here I think one of the Struggles. Uh, one of one of the things I heard Simon Kenberg talked about the one of the struggles of writing the script was finding enough to do for all of these high caliber actors. And he said, you know, you've got these people, uh, you know, your Halle Berry, your Patrick Stewart, uh, Michael Fassbender, all these folks who are used to being the star of whatever movie they're in, who are you know here maybe the seventh, eighth, or ninth most important character, and yeah. trying to find something to justify you know an actor of their stature being in a film like this
1: and that that certainly is a struggle of any um of any ensemble movie like this and so yeah. it's it's definitely a struggle that i appreciate but i i think that like the avengers it was handled pretty well with possibly the exception of storm who was not represented in the past and didn't have a, a much of a role in, in the future which was unfortunate
0: that's true the, the the one tiny improvement i will say they made with storm is they actually made her uh, legitimately powerful to a degree that I think is much closer to the comics than the earlier movies were. Yeah, uh, where, where they kind of had to dilute her powers a bit in the earlier movies, or else she would have just been uh, kind of like the Superman of the group who can just do everything. So why bother, you know, letting anybody else handle it? But
1: yeah, on the other hand, the movies, uh, this, and this is my understanding at least, that the movies have magnified Charles Xavier's powers much beyond what they are in the comics. So much that they usually have to take him out of the equation in some manner in order for the story to work.
0: That's true, too. And, uh, you know, that's something they used to have to do to Superman on the animated series out of the Justice League series, where he was always the first one out of commission uh, just because he's Superman. So,
1: yeah. And and going back to the first two films, if I have a complaint about them, it is that they both incapacitate uh, our, you know, Charles Xavier in some way. And I really like Patrick Stewart, so it's always frustrating. Yeah. Um, and this film, though, I think, uh, to this film's credit, it, it, you know you do have to deal with that because they've made Charles Xavier so powerful. But the way in which this film accomplishes it does not take the character out of the equation nearly as much. Uh, he's still very central to the story, and I, I really like that. And because I do like James McAvoy uh, as, um, as Charles Xavier, not maybe as much as Patrick Stewart, but I like him well enough, so I'm glad he was in the story as much as he was. And I feel like that was a, certainly a positive improvement in the formula
0: yeah uh i I was kind of surprised honestly that um for a change this time around xavier actually was given more emphasis than magneto at least in terms of the older versions of those characters usually uh, you know in in the first three x-men films to be sure it was the other way around but um yeah uh, xavier really played a pivotal role both the younger and older version in this story and probably right behind wolverine was the most pivotal character
1: yeah definitely um yeah, and and we can we can kind of get into our i i my likes are so all over the map that it's it's going to be kind of like bullet points. But um, speaking of characters that I liked, um, Quicksilver, uh, he wasn't in the film as much as I would have wanted, as much as I liked the character, but he I, he was really delightful, just a a very delightful character on screen, and and my favorite scene in the movie is is his scene. Um, you know, where he, you know, we kind of go into slow-mo and we live in his plane of existence for a a little bit and kind of see what, you know, we're with him in the slow-mo and he's just sort of zipping around and doing his thing. I, I really, really love that scene.
0: That, that was such a fantastic scene, and I thought that was one of the best examples of sort of Brian Singer yes. doing a Matthew Vaughn imitation in this movie um, be, because that felt very much like the sort of thing he would have done if he had been directing this. And Singer really did an impressive job of kind of going back and forth between that uh, sort of lighter, more energetic first-class tone and then the heavier, more somber tone of his X-Men movies.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, a very nice mix of, of the two.
0: Yeah, Quicksilver was was fantastic. He he I made hope, a strong impression.
1: Yeah, I hope we get more of him in X Men Apocalypse because he was uh, the actor was great. The the scenes that he was in was great. His his uh, his story and, and kind of his play his part and it was great. I I really love the subtle illusion for those of us who knew um, of of his parent parentage. Um, and but you know, my wife said, "Oh, I didn't even realize." Cause I I "I told her." I said, "Did you get the the clue?" Of of his parentage, no, I, I didn't think they mentioned anything about it. And I said, well, you know, uh, Magneto is his father, at least in the comics. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I didn't. Oh, well, well I guess that makes sense. And because you know, she said, well, my mother knew a guy like you, or whatever. So, <laughs>
0: yeah, that got a pretty good chuckle in the theater uh, when that line was delivered.
1: Yeah. Now, did you know that JFK was a mutant? <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and you know that that was such a fantastic element too, since you brought it up. Uh, the sort of historical fiction aspect of this movie that was one of the highlights of first class for me and i thought even more effective here uh the whole jfk element the nixon tapes all of this stuff was just so so entertainingly integrated into this story yeah uh a really really nice touch
1: yeah now now we are obviously very far out especially now that we've changed the timeline like like before you felt like this could be because it it always said the very near future so this could be our timeline a little bit in the future right but now that they've, they've gone back and they've they've and they've just twisted the timeline out into this own little thing, kind of like a back to the future zip off onto the side. And now we're in a new timeline. This is very obviously not our timeline anymore. right? So yeah, it's kind of interesting side note there. Uh, You know, because obviously the the football stadium was never dropped around the white house in our timeline (laughs) (laughs) in the, in the eighties. So, Um, or is it, was it late, late seventies or early eighties? I can't remember. Yeah,
0: it was mid or Mid 70s, because Nixon was still president. Yeah, so. that's of course, right. Yeah. Obviously.
1: Yeah. Uh, in fact, I should know that because Reagan was president <laughs> the year I became president the year I was born, 1982. There you go. So, um, yeah. So let's see what else. Um, this, I, I wrote in my notes here that this is a giant middle finger to X3, this entire film. It's just one big, <laughs> one big, uh, you know what? I don't care what you did over there, Brett Ratner. <laughs> this is, this is, we're going to fix all this. Um, And and it certainly did, um, and especially I won't spoil it. But at the end of the film, there's things that happen that that make you realize that this film was about fixing the timeline and making it so we can move forward. I think that's kind of why we got those sequel, those prequels. Excuse me, is because after X three, they're kind of like, "Um, hmm, now what? Yeah, (laughs) you know, oh, let's go back and when things were rosy and 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 tell stories there. (laughs) You
0: know, and and I really love too that. The movie doesn't get too self-aware about it, but it does have this sense of, you know, uh, both the X-Men as characters have made big mistakes and, you know, also the filmmakers have clearly made mistakes over the years. And these are things that need to be undone. Uh, we need to go back and find a way to start fresh somehow.
1: Yeah, th- this feels like a much cleaner reboot than something like or, or, I think a much more satisfying reboot, let's put it that way, than something like uh Star Trek uh I agree where where it's like oh let's just cut it off cleanly. They tried to make it like we shifted the timeline but they didn't really do it. It was it was really a reboot. It, it was mm-hmm. like here you go, this is new, this is a thing and it has nothing to do with the old. And and the same thing with um with, with Superman where I loved Brian Singer's approach to Superman returns. It's like, you know what? We've had the origin story. You all know it. You loved it. Christopher Reeve was a great Superman. We're gonna pick up over here and and do this thing. I love that about Superman Returns. So I, I guess this is not the first time Brian Singer has done something like this. Uh, and uh, well, really, I, oh, go ahead.
0: I, I'll say I was a little more surprised by Brian Singer's success here precisely because I'm not really a fan of Superman returns I think that <sighs> uh, I know uh, it, it just made so many I, I won't go into detail but it made a lot of mistakes that really bothered me okay um, that's fine. But, I'll but, try to <laughs> I'm one yeah,
1: of, I, 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 I do know that I'm one of 10 people on the planet who like that film
0: but whatever a, a close friend of mine is, is another of the world's sort of biggest Superman returns apologist and uh, it, he's been through many frustrating conversations with me fantastic film that's all saying <laughs>
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's not the first time Brian Singer has embarked on a, on a reboot of this sort, um, and um, I, I feel like as much as I do love Superman Returns, I feel like this obviously is more uh, going to be more successful, and and probably was was better done, uh, and and wasn't done flippantly, and and it's not like the old is is no more and scratched out. I mean, and and it'll be interesting to explore as we move forward. There's obviously going to be more films. I mean, X Men Apocalypse has already been announced, and there will there will be more films, and I, I have a lot of hope that the studio. Maybe learn their lesson, and and we'll let Brian Singer come back and, and do a lot more things than just this next one. Uh,
0: um, yeah, I, I, I'm sure they, <laughs> I, I'm sure they will. Uh, I, I'm hesitant to go into sort of you know extracurricular stuff here, but we'll see what happens in Brian Singer's life between now and then.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, you
0: don't know, uh, you know, the jury's still out on all of that. But I,
1: you know, I I will just say about that that I I feel the allegations feel made up, but i don't know anything's possible in hollywood and, I, and it would not surprise me if they weren't made up because this is hollywood and these sorts of things do happen and it's unfortunate and and people are are immoral and lewd and and crude and whatever else in hollywood but yeah you, you're right about that
0: so but we don't know you know and it's it's hard to say anything until there's more evidence so yeah in the meantime just on a purely artistic level i do hope brian singer comes back and does more x-men movies.
1: absolutely agreed so um yeah i'll uh, uh, see Go ahead. I was going to say, by the way,
0: I suppose this is vaguely related, but uh, since they showed a, a trailer for this before my showing of X Men, I saw Matthew Vaughn has a new movie coming out too later this year. Uh, this movie, Kingsman, the Secret Service with Colin Firth.
1: Yeah, that's very um, intriguing.
0: I, I'm curious to see how that turns out too, but I. It's interesting to see him moving from first class to something like that, uh, a big change of pace.
1: Yeah, I kind of think I like Kingsman, but I've said that about films before and been completely wrong. Um, but, but you know, I, I do like Colin Firth, um, and uh, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. It's definitely a different role for Colin Firth. Yeah,
0: uh, it looks kind of like a James Bond first class sort of deal.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Very, very interesting for sure. And I, did, I didn't realize that before you said it that it was directed by Matthew Vaughn, who you know did great work in first class. So that will yeah. – yeah, for sure. Um, all right, one other note that I have here that uh, on the like column, and then we'll see if you have any others before we move on to uh, things that we thought were weird or didn't like. Uh, and that is that I really liked the irony of, of Peter Dinklage's character being uh, kind of a um, dwarf is I think – I believe is the correct word. Uh, and yet he's like the one that's that's persecuting the mutants. Uh, I I, f- I found that irony uh, quite well done.
0: Yeah, I, I thought so, too. And, um, you know, I, I thought Dinklage really brought a lot to that part as well, even though I, sure. I, I do wish the character had maybe had a little bit more dimension at times that they had given him a little bit more to do. Um, I, I thought he brought an interesting angle to it where he really wasn't your typical you know, hateful villain. He doesn't know necessarily loathe mutants he has a more kind of weary kind of practical sort of justification for what he's doing
1: yes absolutely and 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 there's nothing saying that we're not going to flesh him out a little bit more in coming films because he's he uh is not i, I don't think that well, it's kind of a spoiler but you you're listening to a podcast about a movie that's out so expect <laughs> it to be spoiled um sure. you know he's he's not dead and so uh as, as he was supposed to be in the original timeline and so um you know anything could happen we could we could see him come back and and we could flesh out his character a lot more in X-Men Apocalypse or or whatever.
0: Uh, absolutely. And I I'd certainly love to see him return cuz he's a fantastic actor.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you're absolutely right. He he brought so much to that role. Um and something that um I think was m- maybe missing was a villain that that kind of had um I don't know cuz when you think of the X-Men villains you've got uh you know Magneto um in X3 of course it was was probably the the worst at this but just so one-dimensionally has no uh no complexity um whereas uh, and and oh man duh, X3 got that character so wrong you know <laughs> li- this is so not Magneto's style at least not yeah. the older Magneto of 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 you know, just uprooting this great big bridge in this big bombastic fashion and dropping it across the thing. Like he's always much more smooth and subtle than that. And and you know, uh, yeah. it's just messed anyway. Anyway, um, yeah. So uh, I thought Dinklage definitely brought something to that role that has been missing from the X Men villains. Um, you know, a the, the, the little more subtlety, uh, a, a lot of great acting. Uh, just definitely brought something great to that role.
0: And it, it brought something back that um x2 had to where there there wasn't really a single definitive villain but there were just you know difficult circumstances that basically divided people
1: yeah definitely
0: and, and i think that's a you know a more complex and interesting approach even if it isn't as satisfying as you know oh this horrible thing is trying to kill everybody which i guess the sentinels were <laughs> but in the uh yeah
1: sure. but they were machines uh, they that's, weren't that's really villains thing. they were just yeah. machines yeah yeah and terrifying machines at that oh for sure you know who would build those things I know, um, and and I definitely uh, there was one more thing in my light like column. I definitely liked uh, what they did with Mystique, where with Rebecca Romaine playing Mystique uh, back in the old days, you wanted to like her as a character in some ways, but she was a kind of a villainous character, so you, you really couldn't. And I think that they kind of turned that around now. It's possible that we don't know whether she's friend or foe now, and so we're going to obviously I think flush that out in X Men Apocalypse. Um, and and I, you know you know Jennifer Lawrence does a a, a great job with this character, um, so. Uh, I definitely like that element as well.
0: I'm a little more torn on Mystique. I do think she's better drawn here overall than she was uh, initially and as a more compelling character. But at the same time, I almost feel like um, it's it's kind of a waste of Jennifer Lawrence's talents just because I sh- she has less dimension as Mystique, I think, than she does as a lot of the other characters she's played over the past few years. Uh, it's a part which doesn't necessarily play to her strengths as an actress, and though she's fine, uh, I don't know. It's a part that I could see a lot of people playing just as successfully. Mm,
1: I don't know if I agree with that because I, I felt okay. like I felt like she had a lot more depth than the original Mystique did in X X One and X Two, which gets into some of your muddy continuity issues. How is it that you know we never heard before X Men First Class that that she basically grew up with Charles Xavier? I mean, you know, <laughs> but anyway, I, I just.
0: Yeah, you'd think somebody would mention that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, But yeah, I, I mean, I, I found Jennifer Lawrence to be playing a much more complex character than Rebecca Romaine ever did. So, not, And that's not Rebecca Romaine's fault. I'm just saying I, I, no. I find this version of Mystique a much more compelling character. So. That's fair. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to talk about that you liked about this film? Because there is a lot of stuff to like about this film.
0: Uh, there certainly is. Um, I'll, I'll just say, too, uh, you know, and without spoiling much about the movie I, I i will say how how effectively the more emotional material in the film was handled and and you know the, the closing moments of the movie certainly had a bigger a bigger impact on me than i would have anticipated um yeah uh, very singer's direction yeah singer's direction there it was really lovely and just the whole idea that the conclusion presents is something very moving
1: yeah, yeah i i definitely we're, we're in a spoiler territory now i've, I've already mentioned it but i'll mention it again if you haven't seen the movie pause the podcast come back to it but uh this is a spoiler for the end of the film i i i definitely like i so we see logan get up right when he comes back to the future and the future's all different and he's the only one that remembers it and he's trying to figure out what's different what's changed and then he sees gene gray and i i i think about five seconds before it happened i go oh we're about to see gene gray and that just oh there's just like yeah, it was definitely a very emotional moment. And uh surprisingly so since it was such a pointless death And the I don't know, maybe it's not surprising, but it was just such a pointless death in X three and to see Singer rectify that problem. It, it was great. I, I really loved it. And I really loved how, you know, she he's like Gene, you know, and, and he's about to touch her, you know, like stroke her hair or something, and then Scott just kind of appears out of nowhere. He's like, Hey, get your hands off my girl. <laughs> it was it was wonderful.
0: It really was. And, you know, uh just that these characters had have- a fresh start and a a chance to have some adventure somewhere that were better than X-Men three was, uh, you know. and and even though that's a jokey thing to say, I I really did feel that, that, you know, X-Men three gave these characters, so many of them, such a, a horrible ending and those who survived such a horrible future. Um, and you know, it wasn't even a good story to boot. So to have all of that undone and to give them a chance to go off and do something else, even if that's a story we never see, uh, it's something i was i was quite touched by and he, it was even nice you know even though he he wasn't a, a necessarily a huge part of the franchise to see kelsey grammer's version of beast pop back up again i was like yeah. you know cuz he was one of the few things i actually liked about x men 3 you Those know he, very he really few. yeah he he had a nice handle on that character just so to see him turn up uh, and have that little bit of banter with Wolverine just put a smile on my face, too. Yeah,
1: no, that was great. Uh, we can talk about it now. I was going to mention it later, but you've already kind of brought it up. Um, do you do you think that X-Men Apocalypse – because they've kind of changed the story a little bit uh, where one of the producers said uh, several weeks ago that, that X-Men Apocalypse would focus on the younger cast. And then right. recently he was quoted as saying, well, you know what? We're we're definitely gonna be have we're gonna definitely have both versions of the cast in the next film. So, which is interesting. How do you do that? It seems like you've got to pick one timeline and stick with it now. But maybe not. Maybe you maybe you could see this. This sounds a little cheesy, but maybe you could pull it off. Where you know they're kind of talking about what happened in the past, and then we see it happening. You know, I, right. I don't that, know.
0: That, that was my thought. Where uh, you might have these scenes with. Xavier and Logan were there sitting around and and then back in nineteen seventy eight, let me tell you and this whole business happens. Yeah, uh, I I
1: don't think it would be quite that cheesy if especially if oh, Brian Singer's not. doing it. Hopefully not. Because and, they've kind of set it up though where uh you know, where uh Xavier says, Oh, I have a promise to keep to you and, and let's talk about let's let me get you up to speed on your, your new history kind of thing. Right. So
0: But yeah, I I don't necessarily see them um See them bringing the two timelines together in, in as direct a way in the next film. Yeah, uh, I, I think if there's anything, it'll be more you know sort of looking back at the past from the future.
1: Yeah, probably so. Yeah, the, I, there's and, and there really is. Uh, a, we'll, we can talk about this more when we wrap up. But there's really is a whole world of opportunity now in the X Men franchise that was so absent before. I mean, this just opens up so many possibilities. It's it's yeah. it's really a, a, a masterstroke.
0: I mean. And I really love, too, that we've got uh, this whole historical fiction angle sort of sets up so many fun opportunities. I mean, I can't wait to see uh, what life is going to be like for the X-Men during these sort of closing days of the Cold War, the Reagan administration. And so, it's, you know, all, all the different yeah. sort of storytelling opportunities you have there. Uh, very, very intriguing.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I'd like to mention a few things that uh, the film was not perfect, and it, it does have some things that, that really bothered me. Um, and, and some things are just weird, not, not bothered me as much. So I'm just going to kind of go down my list and, and then we'll kind of get your perspective as well and, and get your, your things if you have any. Um, but, but the first thing that struck me is, you know, Kitty Pride has been established as this girl who can walk through walls, uh, in both X2 and X3, although played by different actresses. And, uh, You know that's kind of her power, and now all of a sudden she can send people back in time. That's a little bit strange. I I mean, I mean, I know it's a nod to the fact that her character is the one sent back in time in the comics, Uh, but you know, her having the power to send people back in time is very odd. It's like we've just oh, we're just going to give this this person this ability all of a sudden.
0: Yeah, uh, and you know it's one of several things in the movie and this is I guess one of the things that bug me a little bit one of several elements where it's just kind of like uh, just just go with it for the sake of the story Right? just we um, decided
1: to give this person this power it's this way it is
0: and you know you even in the movie she's like well you know I could use my abilities to maybe send somebody back a couple weeks I don't know but all this you know decades and decades and then she's like ah, but I guess I can do that some even though I just said I can't really do that but
1: well I think you know. I will say as an apologist for that that <laughs> um, the, the issue was not that she couldn't do it but that the mind couldn't handle the stress. Well, sure. Wolverine, no, he can heal. So apparently that means his mind's going to be OK. Uh,
0: seemingly so. Uh, I, I'm curious about some of the biology behind that. But
1: oh, come on. This is this is a comic book movie. You don't have to have. I know. I, I am curious. though. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking a little bit because I think that the more grounded <laughs> comic book movies stay, the better they are right so um, you can have uh, I, I you know I guess I guess to me it's more about breaking your own rules and and they've kind of made the rules of the X-men universe and it feels like they kind of broke them a little bit mm-hmm. so that, that I think that's what bothers me about this uh, you know and, and in the same vein I've already mentioned the the issue with the stinger at the end not matching at all what happened uh, the end of Wolverine and and you know that credit in credit scene and then all of a sudden it's all null and void and none of it mattered uh, none of it seemed to you know sink at all. And and so, you know, you've got at the end of the Wolverine film, um, for better or for worse, I didn't like the ending of the Wolverine film as much as I wanted with the villain aspect, but the Wolverine's claws, his metal claws were cut off, and he's back to the bone claws because, of course, they grow back, but there's no more metal on them. Well, all his future self has metal on his claws again. I mean, did he go through – I mean, and, and adamantium is suspiciously hard to find. Like, what's up with that? I mean, is that you know what's the explanation for that? I just wanted to know, you know, was if they had even you know said, well, you know, Magneto, you know, found some for whatever reason, (laughs) found some adamantium and gave him his claws back. I don't know. It just feels a little weird.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Uh, There, there are a lot of little kind of continuity. Things here, And none of them, you know, are, are hugely damaging on no. a dramatic level, but well, they're
1: just little, you know, th- things you are, think about. I mean, this is what we do. We're, we're critics of critical of films and we nitpick at stuff. But it sure. feels like I, I guess to me when I nitpick at stuff, it's because I really especially if I really like the film, it's like, come on, it would not have taken much to fix this. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's, what's frustrating. If they'd just given him the bone claws, that would have fixed the whole issue. I mean, it, you know, uh, but then I think the reason that they did it is because, um, you've got future Wolverine with metal claws and he sent back to his body in the past. And it's like a, a, a funny moment when he like, Oh, I don't have metal on my claws anymore. It's just like, a, it's, it's, it, it was like they sacrificed the continuity for the sake of a little laugh.
0: Yeah. The, the, the that's, that's true. I yeah, agree.
1: It's frustrating. Um, the timeline, despite the fact that it, I, I do appreciate everything that they've done, it still feels a little bit weird. There's just a little bit, you know, like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Bolivar Trask was a black guy in his 40s in uh, X3, and now he's a uh, a dwarf in the 70s. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on, we've already seen Bolivar Trask. Pick a different character, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Something weird is going on here this timeline. is a bit screwy.
0: Yeah. Um, at least it's not as bad a transition as the saber-tooth thing.
1: That was very strange. Um you, you mean to tell me that Sabretooth and X-1 did not recognize Logan and know who he was? Uh, yeah, the whole thing is just weird. Yeah. Um yeah, similarly um uh Magneto controlling the uh the robots was was very weird too. Like I understand like if he laced them with metal, and um, then he could he could make them manipulate them in that way and make them stay away from him or push them wherever he wanted. But it was almost like he was controlling the circuits and the computer part of the of the robots, which was very odd. Like how do you how does lacing their bodies with metal so that you can manipulate them physically give you control of their electronics? I didn't get that at all. It felt yeah, um, it, it felt convenient to the story.
0: That whole um, plan of Magneto's towards the end did feel a little bit contrived uh, with the whole football stadium yep. <laughs> and everything. Um, it, it, none of it was, you know, terrible. I, I wasn't really shaking my head, going like, "Oh, really?" You know, during any of that. But it's definitely not Magneto's finest hour.
1: Yeah. And, and that was my, my big dislike is the whole, in fact, I wrote this, the Magneto plan at the end does not seem very much like Magneto. And I've already alluded to this where Magneto and X1 and X2 is very kind of this finesse. Um, you know, minimalist, um, you know, like he takes these two little balls of metal and, and, and he kind of gets out of his prison and, and he's just very, he just always seems much more finessed than, than this. And, and this plan of the whole football stadium thing just really feels odd. Young Magneto in this
0: did come across as a little bit dumber um, than other incarnations of Magneto. And Fassbender's performance is still fantastic. I mean, he's, he, he's amazing in that part.
1: In fact, at some but, points at some points, it feels like um, he really started, I, I almost heard Ian McKellen's Magneto in the way he was phrasing things and his voice and everything. It was just a superb performance in some ways like that, like you said.
0: Yeah, it's, it's just fantastic. But, you know, like his whole plan yeah. to assassinate Mystique Really bugged. Me. It just seems so sort of
1: hmm. thrown
0: together at the last minute and kind of sloppy. See, uh, now
1: I, I I would disagree there. Like mm-hmm. I, in fact, I wrote down um, his plan to kill Magne- uh, to kill Mystique seemed very Magneto because he's always been uh, whatever I need for the that I consider to be the good of the mutants. That's what's going to happen. And-
0: I, I believe that he would do it. Oh, don't, don't get me wrong. There, I, I absolutely think that's the choice he would make. I just think that he would come up with a more sort of foolproof plan than he did.
1: Right. Well, the manner in which he went about killing her, you'd think that he would get her off by herself somewhere and then make sure she no, no part of her DNA could be found because the it wouldn't matter whether he killed her or not. The issue of the blood being available for trash to study is going to be an issue if he kills her right here or there or anywhere else where it can be found. He didn't wind up killing her, but he spilled her blood, and that's how they that, – that, they almost went down a darker path, right? Well, yeah, right. so that thing was not very well thought out, and that – I will agree with you. That part was not Magneto. The, like Magneto it, it, thinks through things better than that.
0: And that's the part that bugged me that he was kind of like, oops, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, well, (laughs) you know, it it just seemed like that was a little, um, I don't know, a little out of character for him.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, the other, I have two more things. Um, and the one is a little bit minor, but it's, it felt like at the very beginning of the film, we got a little bit too much exposition dump. It was a little bit too much tell and not enough show. Um, it was, it was just a great big brain, you know, information transfer via Charles Xavier and Wolverine, you know, Wolverine and whatever, uh, it felt a little bit tedious.
0: Uh, see, I'm going to disagree with you on that one a little bit because <laughs> I, I, f- <laughs> I felt like the movie did um, a pretty impressive job of just kind of jumping right into things without really bothering too much with catching viewers who weren't familiar with the series up to speed. Uh, I, I felt like it was a pretty efficient opening. Okay, but um, Fair you know that was just my take.
1: And that's that's fine for you to be wrong. <laughs> um and then one, one more thing from me, and that is okay. that the persecution thing of the mutants is starting to feel slightly overused. It wasn't bad, it wasn't terrible, but it just feels like come on, we we've done this for three movies of the original films now, and you kind of expect a little bit of that rehashing in the prequels, but now it's just it's just starting to feel like this the go to thing. Like let's let's find a new plot, guys. You know? Well
0: and and you know, um, there's more room for complexity with that too. Uh because it, pretty much up till now we've just had people who say mutants are good and people who say mutants are bad and we should kill them. Right. Um I I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more of the kind of uh, social complexity there where maybe somebody's like, well, secretly I don't really like mutants that much, but I will work with them, I will, you know, eat in the same establishment with them, but I'm going to kind of, you know, secretly harbor a little bit of resentment toward them, that that sort of thing, you know. But yeah. it's it's all this big black and white.
1: Yeah, it's uh, very two mutants dimensional. are good or bad. Very two dimensional for sure. Yeah. And I, I yeah. do feel like, though, having said that, that Bolivar Trask did start to go down the road just a little of not being quite so two dimensional about it. Right. Just a tad. Just hinted at. We, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we don't have to go down this road next time. Uh, hopefully. Right. So it, it just feels like there's a lot more plots out there we can we can grab hold of. And I know I know singers, you know, personal. Uh, um, leanings and and things kind of motivate that plot device, but you know it feels like it's time to move on from that device.
0: I, I will say too, since you brought up uh, Bolivar Trask, um, one thing which I think is another just sort of storytelling convenience thing. Uh, it, it would have made sense for Wolverine to just go directly to Mystique and convince her not to kill Trask and give her a pretty good reason not to. Um, But I guess the movie, for plot purposes, needs her to be so unreasonable that she just will not listen to that, no matter what reason she's given. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, and it's just one of those little things, you know, I understand the need, but no, no, it's going to make much more sense for us to go and get Xavier and Magneto back together and make them friends and then get them to convince her to, you know, (laughs) Whole sort of thing yeah, but like, uh yeah. you know
1: and these things that that we're talking about are not like not movie ruining at all I still no. greatly enjoyed the film it's just those you know come on you can do a little better than this yeah
0: so but in fairness to the movie I mean it did do such an incredible job of pulling off so many different things it's a great big juggling act uh and you know it's understandable if a few balls are dropped here and there just because you know what they're trying to do within just over two hours is sort of astonishing.
1: Yeah. I was actually reading an article earlier today, um, About, uh, somebody coming back to Star Trek in darkness a year later, right? And they, they said, you know, in the theater, we really enjoyed it. What do we think now coming back and revisiting it? Well, it's easier to see now that J.J. Abrams was juggling a whole lot of balls and, you know, in the air at once. And now all of a sudden, you know, in the flaming torches and, and the, you know, the knives that he's juggling and all these things. And it looked really great in the theater, but now we can kind of see where he got burned and nicked a little bit. (laughs) And, And maybe a little bit of the same thing going on here now that we're out of the theater and kind of really evaluating the film hardcore. Not, again, yeah. the same thing with Star Trek Into Darkness. Not that I didn't enjoy it, but just like, mm, come on, you can do a little better than some of these things. And it's, I, th- I feel like it's kind of the same thing here.
0: Yeah, I will say I like this film a lot better than Into
1: Darkness. I will say I like this film a little better than Into Darkness. <laughs> I really, I really, uh, I, and maybe coming coming out of Star Trek 2009, in such a disappointment to me uh, in many ways that that it, it was just. You know, on the upswing, as far as I'm concerned, and that, you know, made me rate it higher than I would have. I don't know. But I I did really enjoy it. Anyway, Mm -hmm. that's that's a that's that's another long conversation for another (laughs) day. You should you should have been on that episode. (laughs) Uh, So so do you have anything else that you would like to add that was weird or that you did not like? Uh,
0: Some people may disagree with me on this one. Um, I wasn't crazy about the score. Honestly, I, I like Ottman's theme. I think it's a, a pretty solid main theme and uh, instantly memorable. But a lot of the underscore I thought was on the generic side. And I do think he missed kind of a big opportunity to tie the movie together in an interesting way because he did. He started to do that a little bit. He used a little piece of Michael Kamen's score. Yes, in his I love score, that. Which I thought was so cool. I was like, that's great. But. I I think he could have taken that even further. He used some of the first class material, maybe Magneto's theme from the first class score. Yeah. Even used some of the X Men three material, which mm, you know no, a, a, no. A, 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 no, I will say mm-hmm. no. I, I thought John Powell's score for X Men three was pretty strong. Um even though the movie as a whole was a disaster, I, I thought his music was quite good. And I, I think there is a place for some of that within this movie. Maybe uh, so use some of marco beltrami's wolverine music that would
1: have that would have been excellent
0: if you yeah but but uh no it's pretty much just that cayman quote and that's about it
1: yeah and that was really pretty much at the beginning of the movie which i I loved it was like oh, it it really did give you this oh we're back you know yeah i loved that and I, I, i you're right he should have done more of it and i've i've i often feel that way about composers who take over from other composers it's like don't be such a baby. You can use some of their stuff that they've established in this world. You know, it doesn't have to be all you. I feel a little bit that way with Michael Giacchino and star Trek. It's like, it doesn't have to be your creation. Like you can weave (laughs) the star Trek theme in there a little bit. It's okay. You can do that. Yeah. You know, we're going to love it. Well, and you know, one of the weirder
0: examples of that to me, I've seen in recent times, um, I thought it was really cool in uh, the Thor 2 score. Brian Tyler used a little bit of Alan Silvestri's Captain America theme Yes, uh, during that bit where Loki's Captain America. But then Captain America 2 comes along, and it's got a new composer, and he wants to do a new theme, so yeah. he ignores the other theme. All- and, you know uh, I was frustrated about that, that. That sort of stuff is irritating.
1: Yeah, it really bothers me because Captain America's theme was so great. I, I, it was. I'm, I'm really disappointed Alan Silvestri's not coming back for The Avengers 2.
0: I, I know, you know that he, he he delivered two fantastic scores with Captain America and the Avengers, and then you know, although I, I thought Captain America Two was a perfectly good movie, uh, they they really dropped the ball on the musical department.
1: Agreed on that one, and and I've been hearing that a lot from people. It's like, come on, Marvel, pay more attention to your music. It's starting to, it's starting to feel like you don't care. Yeah. So anyway. Kind of a side note. So, yeah, um, I, th- I think that's going to bring us toward the end of our review of X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, all mm-hmm. in all, I would say it was a fantastic film and uh, the best to me, the best film in the X-Men franchise uh, by head and shoulders so for, you know, ab- even above X2, which I dearly love.
0: Uh, I agree with every word of that. It's a terrific movie, and it's one I can't wait to revisit again uh, and and sort of explore some of its additional secrets I might have missed the first time around.
1: Yes, I definitely want to see it again. Unfortunately, these days, because I I tend to watch, I I only watch one movie in the theaters a week. It's all my budget can can allow, and it's always a new one, so I I hardly ever go back to one. Although I almost went back to Captain America 2 because it was so good, and some friends were going, but it couldn't work out. But I'm definitely looking forward to getting this on Blu-ray, and this is one I will be happy to add to my X-Men collection. I, I will not wish to burn it with fire like i do x3
0: (laughs) yeah it'll it'll probably be blu-ray for for me before i get to it too and uh i i don't get out to the theaters to see a movie twice as often as i used to yeah but um definitely look forward to
1: seeing it again so what kind of a star rating out of five do you give this film i'm gonna go four and a half out of five four and a half nice I thought about going four and a half, and, and maybe I should raise my Captain America 2 because in my mind, Captain America 2 is just better and better the more I think about it. I gave it a four, and I don't think this movie was better than Captain America 2, all things told. I, I originally thought that because I came out of the theater just super stoked about this film, and I thought, ah, this was such a great film. And then I read an article, is this the best superhero film of 2014? I'm like, yes. And then I'm like, no, you know what? In retrospect, I do think Captain America was the better film slightly. Uh, so I don't, I didn't want to give it a higher rating. So this is where, I, this is where I say ratings are hard <laughs> because you got to take everything into perspective and you don't know what's coming next. And you don't know what frame of mind you're in when you make the rating. And I, I usually wait a few days and with Captain America too, I did. And ultimately I gave it four stars. So my point is here, I'm giving this film four stars. I reserve the right to raise it to four and a half later. Okay. that's uh, fair. and I think your rating of four and a half stars is completely fair because it was a fantastic film and it is highly recommended.
0: And I will say too, just to be contrarian one more time on the program, I, I will say this is the best superhero movie of the year so far. Uh, Captain America Two is a good film, but I thought this one was stronger, tighter, and ultimately more emotionally satisfying. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy certainly has a high bar.
1: To reach it does but i feel like uh, gardens of the galaxy will not be as good as captain america 2 or this film and i think that that will be okay because it's completely it's going to be completely different in tone it's going to be a very funny film a very light film and uh, in, at the end of the day while i like funny and light and i'm glad they make them and i would not have it any other way at the same time the, the little heavier subject material the little you know more emotional films uh you know the heavier hitting films are usually going to get higher ratings from me this is kind of yeah. usually the way it goes I got you. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. And and it's definitely, I think, down to Captain America and X-Men Days of Future Past as far as best superhero movie. Um, and, and right now, Captain America 2 has my vote for best movie of the year so far. It's really strange to come to a point where the superhero films – you're like, this is the best movie of the year. You're like, well, it's a superhero film. <laughs> <I> mean, but, <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at, you know?
0: I can understand that. So
1: yeah, uh, we'll see what kind of, there are a few f- interesting films coming down the 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 uh, the pike later this this year that that may, you know, maybe next week Maleficent. Well, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so so yeah, there you go. Four and a half stars from you, four from me, and uh, that's that's uh, kind of where we're at. And We both highly, I would say, highly recommend this film. If you haven't seen it yet, please go see it. There you go. Yeah. Well, next week, hopefully Chad will be back and not uh, relaxing and lounging around and, and doing whatever it is he's doing. Uh, hopefully he'll be back with us next week to review Maleficent, and uh, we will we'll, he will probably have seen X-Men Days of Future Past by then, and we'll get to get his take on it as well then. So tune in next week for that. Um, don't know for sure what day we're going to record next week. Uh, maybe I do. Let me look on Trello where we organize all of our uh, – and, and schedule all, all of our podcasts uh, and see if he's commented on when that will be. Um, it is right now currently scheduled for June the 3rd to record. It means it would come out on June the 4th. I have not heard differently. Anyway, next week, tune in for that. We'll be talking about Maleficent as well as I'm sure whatever other film news comes up between now and then. Um, if you liked this episode, please be sure to visit the iTunes store and give us a uh, five-star rating. We would love that. It would helps other people to find the show as well. So if you go to the iTunes podcast directory and just search for Movie Bite, we are the first result that you will see. So uh, get in there. If you wanted to uh, find a show notes for this episode, you can find those at moviebite.com slash mbpodcast slash 90, because this is our 90th episode. And uh, that's where you'll find the show notes of all the things that we talked about. Uh, as we get ready to sign off here, Clark, where can people uh, keep up with your work and find you? And, and, and I know you have another podcast that you do that I listen to every time it comes out. So uh, people will want to keep up with that. Where can they find that at?
0: Well, uh, I have a podcast called The Sounds and Sights of Cinema. It's movie music, and uh, they can find that at DVDverdict.com. I also write a lot of DVD and Blu- Blu-ray reviews for them. Uh, and if you're like Charles Xavier and have a number of mutant powers, you can sort of use those to determine where else I might be on the web. But that's sort of the main place.
1: Cool. If you want to keep up with me, uh, you can do that. The best way to do that on social media is Twitter. That's where I'm probably the most active, and that's uh, twitter.com slash Pro. Uh, Of course, I write for Movie Byte uh, every single day, and I try to write one review a week. I don't always hit that bar, but that is my my goal, and uh, I did this week. I managed to get my review out of X-Men Days of Future Past, so moviebyte.com is where you'll find all of that stuff. And then throughout the week, I sprinkle a little news in there and a little bit of commentary. I'll usually link to something and give a little commentary on it, so I call it the linked list. So uh, that's where you can keep up with me. And uh, we certainly appreciate you listening to this uh, episode of the podcast. And we look forward to talking with you next week. Thank you for being here, Clark.
0: TJ, thank you so much for having me.
1: All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right.